ladies and gentlemen, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. In this audio, I'm going to take up the first seven verses of Philemon, which has one chapter and 25 verses. I'm going to call this chapter Introduction to the Characters in this personal letter from Paul to Philemon. Philemon was a co-worker of Paul's, probably a convert of Paul's, who was living in Colossae. So I'm going to give you a little bit of introduction before we start on the verse. Colossae... I can look at the map here. If you look at Miletus, which is on the coast, the western coast of Asia Minor, south of Ephesus, there's a river called the Meander River, from which we get the term meander to wander because the river wanders. It wanders back east into the interior through a valley there, into the towards the interior of Asia Minor, and Somewhere roughly 100 miles in, there's a river that branches off and goes to the southeast, the Lycus River. That river splits the two towns of Hierapolis and Laodicea. Laodicea, of course, being one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. The Lycus River splits between those two cities. It goes a little bit further, I don't know, 10 miles or so. And on and the river then passes by Colossae. Colossae, I think, has now been destroyed by earthquakes since then. But Colossae was the town where Philemon lived. And in fact, it's the town where the church of Colossians existed, and that's the church to whom Paul wrote in his letter to the Colossians, the canonical letter to the Colossians. So let's start now in verse, well, let's do some introduction first before we, before we start. The author, of course, is Paul the Apostle. The date is probably the same as Colossians. I suspect they were delivered to the church at Colossae and to the and to Philemon personally by the same courier at the same time. This is roughly around 8060 during the first house arrest of Paul, which is in the first between 60 and 62, most people say, somewhere around there, late in Paul's life, late in his ministry, but before he wrote the pastoral epistles, after he got out of prison the first time, most people say, he wrote the letters to first two letters to Timothy and one letter to Titus, the pastoral epistles, the prison epistles he wrote during this first imprisonment. And this is one of the prison epistles. The other prison epistles, by the way, were Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And then we add Philemon. These are the four letters written from the prison at Rome. Some people say he might have written the letter from Ephesus to Philemon at Colossae. That's a minority view. Most people say from Rome. Who carried the letter to Philemon? Onesimus and Tychicus. They probably carried Philemon's letter with the letter to the Colossians, and we know that Onesimus and Tychus carried the letter to the Colossians. The style of the letter is tactful, very tactful, because he's about to ask Philemon to give up his slave, which, of course, would mean a financial detriment to Onesimus. Excuse me, to Philemon. His slave's name was Onesimus. So Paul was very tactful. He's even lighthearted. He builds rapport with Onesimus in, the first, in, in verses 4 through 10, and then he tries to persuade Philemon rationally as to why he should treat Onesimus so well, even though Onesimus was a fugitive slave. And then he appealed to him emotionally. So he appealed to his mind and to his emotions, too. He didn't bring up Onesimus until the rapport was built. That's down at verse 10. That'll be in our next audio. We'll talk about Onesimus and how Paul wanted to get him freed. So Paul appeals to the emotions and to the mind before he brings up the real purpose of his letter. Paul says he's a prisoner, he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that's either, well, let me read you the verse first, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, 
to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker. Paul says he's a prisoner. Now, he could be speaking metaphorically there. John Gill denies that because we're all slaves of Jesus, right? But that's not what the other option is, is that he is a literal prisoner at Rome, and I believe that's what Paul meant. John Gill agrees with that. So does Adam Clark. The word should be translated bound with a chain, as Clark says, and that, if so, that would refer to the fact that Paul was probably under house arrest during his first imprisonment, which means that at certain times soldiers would chain themselves with one chain from their arm to Paul's arm. I suspect they didn't live like that 24-7. That would be pretty uncomfortable. I suspect that if there's any danger of Paul fleeing, I guess they would chain him up to an arm. But anyway, he was under house arrest. He couldn't go. He wasn't free to go where he wanted to go, but he wasn't in a dungeon. Now, Paul does not call himself an apostle in this greeting. He says he's a prisoner, but he doesn't mention apostle. Why? Clark and J.F.B. Jameson Fawcett and Brown speculate it's because the letter is a personal letter. It is not a letter meant to be read to the churches. It didn't involve his office as an apostle, so he doesn't mention that. He mentions that Philemon is his brother. Now, I assume that's his Christian brother, as John Gill says. It could be his blood brother. Well, that's not likely. John Gill denies that. Could be his countryman. Problem with that is Paul associates Timothy in the introduction. Paul and Timothy to Philemon, our brother. Well, if they're brother Jews or brother Colossians or fellow countrymen somehow, they weren't from the same place. That can't be it, as John Gill says. It's just my Christian brother. Now, this idea of being a brother, nothing closer than a brother, as they say. Well, you're in Christ. That overcomes a lot of social distinctions, and there's a big social distinction between being a slave and Philemon is apparently a wealthy guy. He's wealthy enough to own a slave, at least. A lot of social gap there, a lot of social distinction, but they're all brothers. That is how slavery was eventually, in my humble opinion, knocked down and destroyed, because you got so many Christians that were slaves, and then you had Christian masters, and, the, and Paul told the Christian masters, you got to treat your slaves impartially, because there's a master in heaven who there's a God in heaven who treats his slaves, i.e. his Christian slaves, impartially. And we got some masters that are Christian slaves, and we got some slaves that are Christian slaves, and God our Father treats them equally. That, ha that has a powerful impact on people's relationships. Paul mentions Timothy in the greeting. Philemon might have known Timothy, and Paul may have figured that mentioning Timothy, Timothy might have helped Philemon decide to free Onesimus. Kind of bring in some support there. Now, this Philemon guy that's being written to, who is he? Well, he's probably from Colossae, as Gillian Clark said. We don't know for sure he is, but he's probably. Here's some evidence. This is from Douglas Moo and D.A. Carson, both of whom were at my former seminary. But Moo, I was actually there, a student at the same time I was. And Carson, who came later, the famous New Covenant Theology Car Carson guy. This is their evidence that Philemon was from Colossae, first of all. Both Philemon and the letter to the Colossians have Timothy as a co-sender, which is sort of a clue. Both letters have Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke as Paul's companions. And so that makes sense that those two letters were sent at the same time because Paul's companions, of course, changed as time went on. People coming in and out of Rome. But at the time that these two letters were sent, the companions were the same. Paul's companions were the same people. So therefore, that's another indication that Philemon was from Colossae. Colossians refers to Demas in Colossians 4.9. 
Excuse me, Colossians refers to Onesimus, the subject of the letter of Philemon. Onesimus is actually mentioned in the letter of Colossians as a resident of Colossae. Colossians 4.9, he is with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Now, Onesimus is addressed as one of the Colossians. And if Onesimus was from Colossians, from Colossae, it makes sense that his master Philemon was also from Colossae. So I think that's a slam dunk. So Philemon is a Colossian. He was probably a Gentile, as John Gill says. He was rich and hospitable, as John Gill says. His name means affectionate and beloved. I don't know how Gill knows he's hospitable. I hope not just from a name, and names don't mean anything. But anyway, he is also called Paul's co-worker here in the introduction, first first. How can Philemon be said to be Paul's co-worker? Well, John Gill gives some options. One, Philemon could have given some money to Paul, and so therefore he's working with him financially. It could be he has prayed for Paul, and he's working for, with him spiritually. It could mean they've had a private conversation together, and Philemon's encouraged Paul, perhaps, John Gill mentions. But usually when Paul uses the term co-worker, he's talking about somebody who's traveled with him to minister to the churches, so then Philemon would be a co-worker in Paul's itinerant ministry. John Gill says this is very probable. He quotes Philemon's 124, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. Now, all of those co-workers were itinerant ministers, so it makes sense that Philemon was too, as John Gill says. So we're going to assume that Philemon at some point had worked with Paul Maybe while both Paul and Philemon were at Ephesus, Paul ministered to Philemon, probably got him saved, as we'll see in a minute. And then Philemon goes back to his hometown at Colossae and starts working at the church. So at any rate, some, in some way, Paul and Philemon are co-workers. Now, where was Paul writing from? Most people say Rome. That's why it's a prison epistle. Douglas Moo and D.A. Carson affirm that. Some people, however, say he was writing from Ephesus. They say that Anisima, Ephesus is close enough for Onesimus to flee from Philemon, who's in Colossae. It's about, I don't know, roughly 100 miles or so. But Rome is way across the sea, not only across the Aegean Sea, but also across the Adriatic Sea. And that's a long way to go for a slave to flee. So it's unlikely that Onesimus would have ministered to Paul in a prison in Rome. But it was probably in Ephesus that Onesimus ministered to Paul. Well, that's... Sounds like a reasonable argument, but Moo and Carson say, no, that's not true. The teeming masses of Rome would be a great place for a fleeing slave to go to. I think Moo and Carson have the better argument. Slaves can go a long way if they're running. So we're going to assume that Paul is writing from Rome. So let's go to verse 2, Philemon 1-2. To Aphia, our sister, Paul writes, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Now who is this Aphia? He's a Christian sister. She's a Christian sister, obviously, but precisely who she is? Well, many people say that Aphia is Philemon's wife. The NIV Study Bible says she is probably a Philemon's wife. Gill and Clark mentioned that. I probably think that's true. Paul especially wants Aphia to be on his side because she could use her wifely influence to get Philemon to refuse to free Onesimus if she went against what Paul wanted. And Paul's going to say, no, I want Aphia on my side so that she will actually help me talk Philemon into freeing Onesimus, which is the purpose of the letter. So we're going to assume that Aphia is Philemon's wife. Then Paul mentions as one of his people he's greeting, Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now Archippus has got a funny name, master of the horse in Greek. Horse master. 
Well, we don't know who he is. He's a fellow soldier. Again, there's the military metaphors, because when you're in the body of Christ, you're fighting a war. It'll never stop. The only peace you're ever going to get is R&R. When Jesus gives it to you, but then he's going to send you back on the front lines, you're going to continue fighting a war to the day you die. So Archippus is a fellow soldier. Some people speculate that Archippus is a family member of Philemon and Aphia. Jameson Fawcett and Brown say a non-relative probably would not have been mentioned here, as Paul is talking to a household, a family, about their family slave that's escaped. Well, that sounds like a nice argument, but look at the rest of the verse 2. Paul writes to the church that meets in your home. Well, that's not personal family business. That's church. So we don't know who Archippus is. We just know he's a fellow worker from Colossae. We read of him in Colossians 4.17. Paul says to the Colossians, tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. So Paul has mentioned Archippus in the other letter to, to the Colossians. John Gill says that Archippus might be Philemon and Aphia's son. Gill speculates that perhaps he's a leader in the Colossian church. Who knows? But he was a worker there, a fellow soldier there working at Colossae. The church that meets in your home, the your is Philemon's home. So there was a house church in Philemon's home. And let's mention this thing about church in the home. There is not a single New Testament church that did not meet in homes. Every last one of them that mentions met in a home. There's about eight cases of it. I'm not going to read. I don't have them in front of me, but you can do a search on church in the home or whatever home church house, church, in the New Testament, you can pull up about eight scriptures. I think one of them's in Rome, for example. Priscilla and Aquila, I think they had a church in their home. There's lots of examples. That was the New Testament norm back then, and now you're considered a fruitcake if you don't have a choir. I remember I was meeting in a home church one time, and somebody came up to one of the fellow brothers in the church and said, well, where do you put the choir? As if a choir is a scriptural functioning part of a church. Where's that in the Bible? The whole church is the choir, and they can meet in a home. But anyway, I won't get off on that rabbit trail because nobody's going to listen to me. Too busy sinking millions of dollars into mortgages and getting yourself enslaved to the financial banking system, sitting yourself up there as a sitting duck for governors who want to shut you down when there's a pandemic or some shooter that wants to come into your church and shoot you up. Well, keep going to your buildings. Enjoy yourself. I prefer not to, of course... The problem is it's hard to find people who think like me. They would rather keep on sitting in the pews and fellowshipping with the back of their brothers and sisters' neck and wondering why nobody loves them in church. We go to verses 3, 4, and 5 in Philemon chapter 1. There's only one chapter, but I'm going to call it chapter 1, 3 through 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, that's the standard greeting. Grace, unmerited favor of peace. We're no longer... At war with God, we're no longer hostile to God. He's no longer hostile to us. We, he's declared a truce because of our belief in Christ and, our, and the blood atonement which covers our sins. Verse 4, I always thank my God whom I mention you in my prayers. Always, that means not 24-7 every second, but it means it's on a constant, regular, recurring basis. Now, Gill says the Greek word can either, either modify thank or mention. In other words, I always thank my God, or it can... When I mention you in my prayers, or you could read it this way, I thank my God when I always mention you in my prayers. I don't think it matters one way or the other. Here's another idea of this constant prayer for other people. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 4. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Folks, don't stop praying for your fellow Christians. They need it. 
They really, really need it. Paul says in verse 5, this is the reason I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers. Verse 5, because I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for the saints. First of all, how can Paul hear about Philemon? Well, Philemon 1.19, which we're not going to cover in this audio, but the next one, verse 19 says this, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will, will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self. He's talking about repay the financial damages you're going to receive by freeing Onesimus. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self. Well, that sounds like Paul converted him. So we're going to assume he did. That's how he heard of his love and faith. And plus, you know, if his word travels among Christians, people, I can imagine how the word got out. That Philemon's doing a good job at Colossae, then the word gets to Ephesus, and then the word gets to Corinth, and then the word gets to Rome. Just going right through the through the Roman world there. Now there's a grammatical problem here. Love and faith towards the Lord Jesus and all the saints. How do you read that? Do you have love toward the Lord Jesus and faith toward the Lord Jesus? Of course, no problem there. But then do you also have love for the saints and faith toward the saints? How do you have faith toward the saints? Several ways you can solve this problem. It depends on how you distribute the love and faith. You could say faith towards the Lord Jesus and love towards all the saints. That works. Or you could say love and faith towards the Lord Jesus and love toward the saints, kind of split it up. The easiest way to do it is say love toward the Lord Jesus and faith for all the saints, if you ask me. Another way to do it is you could say love and faith toward Jesus and love and faith toward the saints. And what it means to have faith in the saints, it means to believe all things, as in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it, love, bears all things believes all things belief is trust to have faith in so you have faith in your believers you assume that bad things spoken about them are not true good things are true you believe all things about them now that i don't believe that's the answer i think it's easier just to say faith love toward jesus and faith love and faith towards jesus well the problem with saying love and faith toward jesus and the saints is the words are reversed it, more, it would be more natural for paul to say because i hear of your faith and love toward the Lord Jesus and the saints. So faith would go toward Lord Jesus and love toward the saints in that order. But it's love and faith that's in reverse order. So I think the easiest way to to understand what Paul is saying here, he's saying love and faith towards the Lord Jesus and love toward all, all the saints. He just left the faith off. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It's a minor point. But the, the main point is, is that we're supposed to have love and we're supposed to have faith. Just like all the brothers at Colossae, as we read in Colossians 1, verse 4, for we have heard of your, Colossians, faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Well, there he splits it out very nicely. You believe in Jesus, and because you believe in Jesus, you love all the saints. That's probably what he's, actually, that's probably what he's talking about in Philemon. You have faith in Jesus and love toward the saints. Now, you'll notice in verse 4, Paul says, because I hear of your love. Paul doesn't use the we. You know, he's got Timothy in his greeting and oftentimes he'll, he'll say we including his fellow greeters in the in the letter he does that in a lot of his letters but not here he says i why because this is a personal letter timothy's not involved with this problem of onesis and philemon he paul does use we in his letter to the colossians because that's a public church matter there and paul and timothy would be associated together in dealing with church matters at Colossae. this is the niv study bible's observation we go to verse six in philemon I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. Now, this is an interesting little verse. 
First of all, let me make a minor point here. The your there is second person singular. Now, that's un, that's unusual. Usually the yours are plural because Paul's writing to churches, but here it's singular because he's talking to a singular person. Philemon, the English, unfortunately, fudges the difference between the, fudges the number, singular or plural, you don't know. But this is not a letter to the church. This is a letter to an individual. So he's praying that your Philemon's participation in the face and the faith may become effective. Now that word participation in the Greek is koinonia. Koinonia, one of my favorite Greek words. It can be translated as participation, communion, community, sharing. And I looked up a ton of English translations for this, for koinonia right here in Philemon 1.6, and they use almost every one of them uses one of those definitions. And so the translations are all over the place. For example... Here's the Mace New Testament. So that the Christian faith which you have in common with us. The Holman Christian Study Bible says your participation in the faith. The Mace New Testament says your, your Christian faith which you have in common with us. The Montgomery New Testament says I pray that your participation may become effectual. That's the same as Holman Christian Study Bible. The New American Bible says so that your partnership in the faith may become effective. And that would mean that hey... Philemon, you've been partnering with me in Christianity, and we've had a lot of co-working successes, and I pray that our partnership may become more effective. That's probably, in my opinion, that's the best way to translate it. Here's another one. New American Standard Bible, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. Here's the Wesley New Testament. I pray that the communication of your faith may become effectual. Here's the Weymouth translation. Your participation in the faith, Philemon, your fellowship in the faith. Excuse me, Young literal, Young's Literal, Fellowship of the Faith, American Standard, Fellowship of the Faith, Bible and Basic English, the faith which you have in common with them, with the Colossians. Philemon 1.6, and you share and share in the faith you have in common with others. So the participation could be with Paul. It could be with the other Christians. It could be talking about fellowship. It could be talking, you know, it's very loosely, it's hard to get a precise translation here, but whatever it is. Let's just pick one. Let's just say that Philemon's participation in the faith means he's participated in the Christian faith by being a good, dear fellow worker of Paul. And it's going to continue. And Paul says, I want your participation in the Christian faith to become effective. How? Through knowing every good thing that is in us. For what purpose? For the glory of Christ. Now, isn't that interesting? Become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us. Most Christians I know would start talking about all the sin that's in them. I, I, you know, I'm just such a miserable sinner. I'm a worm. I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. Well, Paul doesn't talk that way to his people. He says, look, I want you to become effective. And the way you become effective is not focusing on all your failures, but know every good thing that's in you. What's in Philemon? Well, there's the Holy Spirit to start with. And what are the fruit of, fruits of the Holy Spirit? What's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, endurance, a long-suffering. There's forgiveness. There's forbearance. There's piety. There's love for the brethren. There's love for non-brethren. There's forgiveness. There's all kind of good stuff. There's the hope of glory. The hope of confident expectation of a future life in heaven with Jesus. I mean, there's all kind of stuff that's in us. So, you want to be effective in your participation in the Christian faith? Know every good thing that's in you. And realize that knowing every good thing in, in you is not for yourself aggrandizement. It's for the glory of Christ. That's a great little verse. I'm going to share that in church next chance I get. We turn now to verse 7 in Philemon's 
Philemon 1, and we'll finish up this audio. Paul says this, For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed. Now this implies very strongly that Christians can get down emotionally and that we need to get refreshed, because Philemon wouldn't be refreshing unless somebody needed refreshing. Well, I'll tell you what. With the things that have been going on lately around here, I mean, we had, a, what, a two-month pandemic, which is still going on. Last week, we've had uh, a police homicide that led to nationwide riots, racial animosities everywhere. Oh, just been a wonderful three months. So, yeah, we need to get it refreshed. I call people in China and get refreshed by how God is working in them. For example, there's this young Chinese ex-wife who confessed all of her sins to her ex-husband, who did not want to have anything to do with her except as having to raise their rebellious little daughter. She confesses all of her sins, and there were many. I mean, she listened to a feminist friend of hers who had been divorced four times, and she decided to be independent and run all over the world and leave her husband. Well, she, he was upset, and so he was, and he's not a Christian. So she now says, I have apologized to him now. The ex-husband is treating her very nicely, gave her a car, is coming over to her place to work with the daughter and read stories with the daughter and kind of acting like a mother and father, even though they're not married. And so this young woman has decided, I'm going to pray that he gets saved so I can remarry him. I went, whoa, you got more faith than I do, but I admire that. It's just amazing. The, the, that's encouraging. She's not worried about the coronavirus or race riots. She's not concerned about it. She's not concerned about it. So when I hear that, that refreshes my soul. So anyway, Paul says the way he's encouraged by Philemon, the way he has great joy from Philemon is because of Philemon's love. Now, how did that love express itself? John Gill and Adam Clark speculate that he could refer to his donation of money to the poor saints, because Philemon apparently had some money. Or it could be the fact that his house, where his house church was, was open to the saints. Jameson Fawcett and Brown mentioned that as an, as an option. It could be just an emotional attitude of love. But remember, love is really what you do, not the way you feel. So I suspect there was some concrete manifestation of Philemon's love that Paul is talking about here. Probably money. Paul didn't have any. He had to be supported as an itinerant ministry. Philemon was settled at his house, probably. Maybe not. I mean, he might have traveled to Ephesus. But anyway, I suspect he gave Paul some money. But whatever it was... It was love, and Paul appreciated it. So he starts out this letter being very, very complimentary of Philemon because he's getting ready to put the put the hit on him at the end of the letter. So I've got to ask you something, Philemon. I need you to free your slave. We'll look at that in the next audio, which I hope you listen to, and I hope you enjoyed this one.